All right, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> you, you're never sure. You're like, does he actually want an answer? I never know if he actually wants an answer if it's rhetorical. I actually want an answer. I kind of like to interact. You don't have to freak out, you know, and scream amen at me. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. But uh, every once in a while, acknowledging me. And also, just this is for, just for free. Um, you need to go home and look at your resting face because I have to look at it every single morning. And I'm just, I'm just saying, I know you love me, but sometimes... You need to tell your face that you love me. All right, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, as Karen mentioned, we talked last couple of weeks on, <clears throat> on essentials, and uh, most churches would not start with government, um, but we did. And, and part of the reason why is it's kind of that behind-the-scenes thing. Uh, obviously, we've got an election. Anybody notice there's an election coming up soon? Yeah, that was, it was, it's been in the news. So, um, <laughs> so it's interesting. The Constitution of the United States has been in existence for over 200 years. Do you know the average lifespan of constitutions in all governments over all of recorded time? The average is 17 years. <laughs> it's not an accident. The, the America's Constitution, it's a very interesting document. It was written, obviously, if you go back to study history, a lot of prayer and a lot of uh, intentionality went in to being careful how they established power and how they established government, the three branches of government. You know, most of us either failed civics class or never went in the first place. So it's really helpful to understand how, how government works because at some point it's a trickle-down effect, you know, like the old uh, adage about the economy, but it's a trickle-down effect, and eventually whatever decisions were made in government are going to come to you, I promise, right? At some point, it's going to come and affect you. So it's like, does it matter if I vote? Let me just tell you the answer is absolutely it matters if you vote. So take a strong stance in government. Lean into it. What we always say is, is go after what God's telling you to do in terms of studying what's happening in the government. You know, building from, if you're a believer, building from a Christian uh, sense of values and voting accordingly. And if you're, if you're ever wondering if you're voting in Billy Graham, Billy Graham did not run for president. I doubt <laughs> maybe somebody like Billy Graham will run eventually, but so far he hasn't, okay? So in the meantime, you got to pray, you got to trust the Lord, you got to put your effort into it so we come alongside the Lord and we do our part. And so we started this series with government, and then last, we did two sessions on government, right? Which is probably too, too many for most people. But if you go back and listen, you'll understand why that is such an essential in who we are as a local church and why leadership matters. And Karen did a great job when she was opening up the service talking about that. But today I want to talk about community, but in, but in specific, I want to talk about friendship. Um, Val, we were talking about this as a team, and Val challenged me. She said, I love the community idea, but, but have we talked about friendship? And I have in passing, like it's been part of something on community. And I tend to want to build foundations, you know, biblical foundations. This is just kind of what God's called me to do. And, and I realized that I haven't done a really good job of what friendship looks like from a biblical perspective. So I want to kind of take that on today and, and help us understand that part of who we are as a church is built around friendship. And it's really important. The Bible has a whole lot to say about this. But, but let me start with a story. Um, in fourth grade, I had just got, come back from um, lunch and we had hoagies. Anybody remember the hoagies? So I had big hoagie, man, <laughs> monster hoagie, fourth grade, and I came back, and it was English class, and I was sitting there, and I wasn't feeling well, you know, how sometimes it's just, it's not sitting right, and so I don't know if it was because I was nervous or what, but um, our English teacher said, hey, everybody's going to read a passage from this story, and my turn was coming, so I was building up this anxiety, you know, and this fear of public speaking, I know you can't imagine that now, but back, back then it was hard, and so <laughs> I stood up way too fast, and the hoagies decided to, you know, 
make themselves known. And so, I, of course, I threw up, but I, you know, projectile is a better word for it. So it was just really, I won't go into details, it was nasty. But the poor kid who sat in front of me really took the brunt of it, if I'm honest, right? And it turns out his name was Shannon. And Shannon was in the bathroom with me. He was a big kid, too. He was in the bathroom with me. And he was cleaning himself up as I was, you know, my cleanup was minimal compared to what Shannon's was. And for some reason, he didn't beat me up, although he could have. He was a big kid. Um, And we actually became best friends. And I actually told this story when we were graduating. They asked me to tell this story. I'm like, I don't know. But everybody thought, that's friendship, right? It's like you throw up on a guy and you bond. That's what you do, right? Just don't do it in high school. That's when you get beat up. Do it in elementary school. And so it's interesting how friendship works because friendship, we have these ideas about friendship. And so I just want to talk about how, a little bit about community and what the Bible has to say about friendship and then talk a little bit about some must-haves in how we build biblical friendships because it really, really matters. So again, Friendship is all over Scripture. You see it everywhere, and and you see it especially in the beginning in the book of Genesis. And it turns out that the first problem that that they had in the garden was not a sin problem. It was an alone problem. And so it's really interesting. This is found in Genesis 2.18 because it really startles us because the Bible starts out with this concept of God's making things, and everything he makes, he he pauses for a second, and he makes this statement. It's good. It's good. I made this, and it's good. I made this and it's good. And he gets to Genesis 2.18. This is what he says. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. So here's the thing. The Bible starts, starts with this beautiful picture of the garden. There's no sin. But in the midst of a place with no sin, God looked at man and said, it is not good that he's alone. And it never has been good that we've been alone. So there's the interesting concept of God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, the Bible said. And that word, walking with him, is going to come back in just a second. We're going to talk about that in another part of Scripture. But it's a picture, it's a Hebrew phrase for friendship, right? And so God was saying in the book of Genesis, I had a friendship with Adam, Adam had a friendship with me. But the Bible talks about God being community, not living in it or liking it or you know, saying it's a value, but the Father, Son, the Holy, Holy Spirit, they are the Trinity. And I know we don't understand that completely, but they are in unity, right? And they are together, and there's a friendship there. So God creates mankind, and then mankind is alone. He has God, but there's, there's, there's no one, the Bible says, comparable to him. Right? Isn't that kind of how friendship works sometimes? And so the Bible says he makes, he makes Eve, of course, and then there's friendship, and then there's the fall, and we got all these other problems. <laughs> so, but this was, this was a problem, that aloneness, that solitude. Solitude's not necessarily a bad thing, but loneliness is. And so it's interesting that the Bible speaks to that. Even before there was sin, part of the problem was loneliness. And so, again, friendship is a theme throughout Scripture you see it with Adam and, jo- uh, and Eve enjoying the fullness of friendship with God. Uh, and then sin led them to withdrawal. So they withdraw from God. They begin to withdraw from each other. Even brothers, if you remember the first part of Genesis, begin to withdraw from each other. And so what should be a connection, right, begins to be a withdrawal and it creating this, this problem that we have even today. And so God is restoring friendship. There's a passage where it says um, Enoch walked with God. Right? And this is an interesting passage. And again, it was the same phrase that's used in Genesis um, chapter 2. And it's a Hebrew expression of friendship. Yet, if you ever really want to get to know somebody, play golf with them. Because <laughs> golf is just a really long walk. I mean, we ride around now because we're Americans. But, you know, it used to be a really long walk. But it's, it still takes three to four hours to play the game. And you get people in frustrated 
moments, right, where they break their clubs and throw them in the lake or, some, or they break your clubs and throw them in the lake so you don't go out with that guy again. But you find out a lot about people on a walk, right? One of the things Karen and I like to do is, is walk our dog around, around the, our neighborhood, and it's kind of a big kind of a circle around the lake. And every time we go out, like Karen says, hey, I'm going to walk the dog, and if I'm doing something I don't go, I don't expect her back within an hour or two. Because she, while she's walking, <laughs> she stops to talk to people. And she builds friendship. That's just kind of the way it works. So it's an interesting scripture. Abraham talked about in Isaiah 41, it talks about Abraham and called him a friend of God. Um, Jesus came as the great friend of sinners. We see this where he comes and he lays down his life for his friends. That's in John chapter 15. And again, the whole picture of Scripture, even in Proverbs, there's a super practical um, concept about, about friendship. It's a practical guide. So let me just give you a couple of Scriptures um, in what Proverbs says is how you should look for true friends. This is Proverbs 13.20. It says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You ever tell your kids that, right? And then go hang out with the wrong people yourself? Ever do that? <laughs> That's just me. Um, Proverbs 22, 24 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Think about that for a second. Maybe you're a hot-tempered person and you're wondering why you got no friends. <laughs> right? Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. You ever notice like someone who gets easily angered, there's something deeper going on than whatever caused that initial outburst of anger? You ever notice that? So, so that, that's what the Bible says, hey, there's some practical guidelines to be in a relationship with people, and we're not going to get into this today, but if you don't understand healthy boundaries as a believer, just in, in relationship in general, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And then the Bible talks about how friendship is more like a covenant than a contract. So we actually treat, often treat friendships, you see this especially in the early teen years, we treat friendships as consumers, right? I will be friends with you as long as you can give me something in return. But the moment you don't fulfill your side of the contract, right, I renege on my side of the contract and we go our separate ways. And that creates problems. You see this, I mean, it's so sad, but you see this in the church all the time. Somebody has a problem with the pastor, right? They don't come and talk to the pastor. They talk about the pastor, <laughs> right, till they get to the point where they built up so much resentment towards the pastor that they end up leaving the church in a huff, and if they have tremendous influence in the church, they make a big mess. If they have no influence in the church, they just, you just realize they went missing, right? And then the pastor's like, why did they leave? And they're like, because they hate you. And I'm like, why do they hate me? I don't, I don't, what did I do? And some, some of it's like, I just don't like the way you preach. I'm like, well, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's what I know. It's what I do, right? I, I don't, come talk to me. And usually if, if it's something that came up or a doctrinal question or the way someone was perceived that they were treated, they take offense, not even just with themselves. Sometimes they take offense for or on the case of another person. And again, the problem is they don't have a, they don't have a covenant mindset about relationship and about friendship. So the moment there's the break and whatever is giving them is not what it used to be, they end up bailing on it and walking away from it. But the Bible shows us that real friendship is more covenantal than contractual. So Proverbs speaks to that again. Proverbs 18, 24, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, it commands us, do not forsake your friend in chapter 27, verse 10. It warns us about the fickleness of fair-weathered friends. This is a great one. This is uh, Proverbs 19, 4. It said, wealth brings many new friends. People who win the lottery right, get all kinds of new friends and family members coming out of the woodwork. Uh, wealth brings new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Right? It's bad enough you're poor. 
and now you're alone. <laughs> it's just really sad. I mean, if you're, if you're at least rich, you know, you can buy your way. Well, you can't really do that, but you can, you know, you can buy a motorcycle or something, have a little fun, take your mind off it. But that's the challenge is the moment something happens, the friendship begins to, to be taken away. So friendship is something that God designed to build community in the church. So I'm going to read this passage. Karen mentioned this. This is the ancient ideals of friendship you find in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, something about friendship there, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They would join in each other's houses, and the Bible speaks to that. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Imagine that, that, that there's a place where if someone had need, that need could actually be met. Now, you know, the Scripture is very specific about this um, because it, it also says if a man don't work or a man doesn't work, he, sh- he shouldn't also eat, right? So depending on whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you pick which side of the Bible that you like. You know, if you're a Democrat, typically you're, you care a lot about the poor, right? Not that Republicans don't, but we just don't, they just don't talk about it a lot. But if you're a Republican, it's like, hey, take personal responsibility for your life. You know, that's what we do. So the Republican is, if a man doesn't, want, doesn't eat, right, um, he doesn't work, he ought not eat. And the de- Democratic side of it says, well, hey, um, you know, the poor you'll have with you always. Jesus said that. And so the thing is, is both of those things are true. And so Scripture speaks to this relationship that moves beyond socioeconomic barriers. So we're going to get into that in just a second. But it said, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We're going to get to this in just a second. But friendship is actually a way to be missional, to reach people who don't know Christ. Um, we told, I don't know why this came about, but we, we bought into this lie that the only way to reach people who don't know Jesus is street preaching, right? Because it's radical. And, and we see it and we're like, oh yeah, that's super radical. But I, I've, I've known a few street preachers and oftentimes they've got some challenges of their own. It's not like the gospel isn't true that they're proclaiming, but sometimes their attitude that comes across is, I don't want to be your friend, I want to judge you a little bit, right? And so if you're not careful, it comes across as, um, hey, come and be a Christian like me so you'd be just as miserable as me, right, and lonely. And people look at that and go, I don't know what it is about that, but it doesn't seem like that's Jesus. You ever notice Jesus had this innate ability to tell people the truth about where they were in their life, to call them out, to challenge them, if, as it were, but they wanted to be around him, right? And so I think there's something of a friendship that Jesus, Jesus presented himself as, because this is what the Bible said, he was called a friend of sinners, like, he loved people, and he cared enough about people to stop and have conversations with them, and so many of those are listed in Scripture. And so often we think about Christianity as, you know, we're, we're to come out and be separate from among them, and that's true, right? But how separate do you become to the point where you no longer have the ability to reach people who don't know Christ, right? The very people who are in need of what you have, you're unwilling to give it. And that's really, really dangerous. Acts 44.32 talks about this, this friendship as well. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. So again, this picture of community was... 
we care about one another to the point where things don't matter as much as people. And then the Apostle John refers to fellow believers and churches as his friends. This is interesting. This is 3 John 15. Um, he says, I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the, the friends there by name. Think about that for a second. So this is the Apostle um, John writing to people who were, who were part of the church. And he, and he shared some incredible doctrinal truths, of course. But he ended his letter in such an amazing way. He said, hey, the friends here greet you. And, then, and he's asking them, would you do me a favor and would you greet the friends there by name? In other words, he's, he knows those people. You see this in Paul's life as well. Everywhere Paul went, he would name people. He would, there's just a litany of names in the book of Acts on, on his missionary journeys, on his apostolic journeys. But he would go into these places and he would build relationships with people. And we forget how important that, that is. And it turns out that friendship is actually the goal of the gospel. So I want to read this. This is again John 15, 15. I alluded to it early, earlier. It says, I no longer, this is Jesus, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Now think about that with Jesus. We're going to get to that in just a second. About how important this is. He said, instead I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. There's an aspect of friendship that you can build relationship that's casual. And here's one of the big problems in the South, right? Because I, I know I grew up in the South, so I know a little bit about it. When you grow up in the South, you find that there's this cultural thing that you have surface level friendships and you don't have, very, you don't have many very deep friendships, right? Because there's this thing about, you know, the, the phrase is you put on airs. In other words, you've got to present yourself publicly to look a certain way, to, you know, to fit into certain crowds. And that's just generally the challenge of the fear of man, what the Bible calls the fear of man. That we all struggle that, with that to some degree. But culturally, the danger is that you, in church especially, and in relationships, you don't develop deep friendships. And you know how you know? I bet a bunch of you guys don't know whether your friends are Democrats or Republicans. <laughs> right? Cause, cause, and you don't know if they're Christians sometimes because you're like, okay, the thing, two things you don't talk about are what? Religion and politics. Why? Because what happens if you do that is you open up a can of worms, right, that you're not willing to, to put back in the can usually. But here's what I'm, here's what I'm talking about, that why this is so important, is you, you cannot, if you have, if you believe that the value system and this, this uh this healing that God has brought to your life through the gospel, if you believe that it's valid, if you believe it's real, if you believe that you have life and life more abundantly, and there's a desire you want to share that with people who don't have it, right? There's a mercy thing that kicks in that says, the reason I'm still here is because God wants me to take these good gifts that he's given me and distribute those to people who don't have them. Whether that's physical things like the Bible talked about in the book of Acts, um, you know, all things in common, or it's, it's value systems. So at some point, you have to cross that bridge. We, we talk about this in building relationship, that, that it's, it's dangerous to take a 20-ton truth across a 10-ton bridge, right? And if, if the gospel's not a 20-ton truth, I don't know what is, right? Politics are. Anything to do with religion. Why? Because if someone's been hurt or if they, if they've, uh, you know, if they have a value system in politics, if they have a value system that's different than yours, 
then what's, what the ideal scenario is not what's happening today where people are withdrawing away from each other and not having conversations. It's to come together and have conversations about what's going on. Black Lives Matter. You know, all the touchy subjects. And, th- and that's something that if you do this well, if you come with this mindset of, I- I'm not trying to convince you that everything's right. I just want to have an honest conversation, ship, or conversation with you and build real relationships. Because at the end of the day, if the only thing in your head is, I've got to share the gospel with them, then what you've turned it into is a contractual agreement, right? And so when you start building relationship with them, and it turns out that they're really, you know, that they've got some problems, like most people, right? Then, then we play the, the moral game, right? The moralism, which is one of the big problems in the South. And we withdraw from ourselves because they're immoral, Right? And I've heard this numerous times, people in church, and they're like, I can't hang around that guy because he, he drops the F word a lot. Well, dude, you drop the J word a lot, so he's probably as offended about that as you are with his F word, right? I mean, Jesus, the J word, right? So, <laughs> I just want to make sure you guys are clear. It's that resting face I was talking about. I'm not sure. So, so the challenge is, if you don't build real relationship with people, then you, what you have is a bunch of casual relationships that you think are friendships, but when troubled times come when challenges happen those so-called friendships evaporate right and and social media has done a tremendous amount of damage in this realm because it's it's this it gives the appearance of a friendship that is that's fickle and easy to go away the moment you bring up something online you know which is probably not the best idea because you're, you're talking about thinking about I've got 500 friends on Facebook and I'm going to bring up religions or politics with casual friendships right very few of those are deep friendships. That's just a bad idea. It's like walking into a, into a coffee house and just going, anybody who's not a Christian, um, I want to judge you <laughs> and talk to you about your sin and you know, how much you're missing Jesus. It's like, how many people are going to raise their hand and go, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Right? It's not going to happen. And so there's this beautiful thing about how God designed us to come into friendship, first of all, with God. Right? Remember, w- walking with Adam in the cool of the day walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that God had a a desire for friendship. He's still God, he's still the king, but he wants friendship. He wants real relationship. And so John 15, Jesus is saying, I'm not calling you servants. So if you look at your relationship with God as a servant mindset, then again, it becomes a contractual element. If you look at friendships, relationships with people, and you don't have to go, you know, deep relationship with everyone. But being willing to go down that road because there's something valuable in who they are and seeing that validity, here's what begins to happen. When you begin to see someone as an actual person with real hurt, real needs, real amazing things that, you know, there's so many amazing things in people that you discover. And if you begin to see them that way, you begin to love them, right? It's not, it's no longer um, an abstract thing, right? When people say, you know, I just love people and I want to share the gospel with them, that's usually not true, right? In the sense that when you say you love people, you love the idea of sharing the gospel with people who don't push back on you. But it's never that, it's never that easy. Having a real friendship is never that easy. So we're going to see this. It, but let me jump, jump into this part of it. The cross is an act of friendship. This is what you see. Again, Jesus, it's, he's explaining the meaning of the cross to his disciples on the night before he dies. Right, so they're having, you know, the famous picture. They're all sitting on one side of the table. I never understood that, but whatever. So they're all sitting on one side of the table, right? And they're having a conversation, and Jesus explains. This is what he says in John 15, 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, or no man than this, 
to lay down one's life for his friends. So Jesus is explaining the cross and he's saying, I'm going to the cross not to save humanity from their sin, right? Because that sounds better on Facebook. (laughs) He said, I'm going to the cross for you. I I know you, Peter. I love you. I called you. I saw who you are. I, I love you. I care about you. And I'm going to the cross on your behalf. So he was willing to suffer and die for his friends. You see this um, anytime someone is given a medal posthumously, usually it's you know, someone who's laid their life down in battle. That's what the testimony of their friends always say. They'll quote that one scripture, greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. Some man jumps on a grenade, sacrifices his own, his own life so his friends can live. Now think about that on the scale that Jesus brought that to the cross. And the idea is that he wants to be friends. He's like my wife. He wants to be friends with everybody. Right? <laughs> All you have to do is make eye contact with Jesus and he'll, he'll be your friend. Turns out you don't even have to do that. He'll be your friend anyway. So Jesus as a friend is a concept that most of us have not thought through. Many Christians hesitate to call Jesus a friend, but Jesus never hesitated to call us friends. And here's the, here's the thing I think that needs to happen. Um, we need to exchange an either-or false dichotomy. And what I mean by that is we'll say things like, Jesus, I've heard this from pastors to me, Jesus is our king, not our friend. And they'll say that, and then they'll explain it and say, if you're not careful, people are going to get too friendly with God, and that's going to lead to sin. And I'm like, well, you don't seem very friendly to God. <laughs> And you're a huge, yeah, I didn't go there, but you see it, right? You see it every single time. The people who are, the people who are pointing are always pointing back at themselves. Um, Karen and I were talking about uh, Bill Maher. Some of you guys know who Bill Maher is. He's a huge leftist, um, but he challenges the left sometimes um, in ways that the right can't get them to hear, right? Um, but one of the things he, he's, he talks about the recent uh, confirmation for the um, Supreme Court, and he called her a religious nut, right? <laughs> and so he, he said, you know, the Democrats are wanting to pack the Supreme Court. He said, but it turns out the Supreme Court's already been packed with Roman Catholics, right? So he makes this big thing about Roman Catholics, and then he, and he goes after it. Anyway, he talks about how, you know, they're religious, and, you know, and they got all these issues, and, and, and everybody online who sees, who has a sense of it goes, um, methinks he doth protest too much, right? <laughs> In other words, it's like, to talk about religion so much and in such an angry manner, there's probably a few things he would like to repent of, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. He puts off this persona, right? And not just him. I'm just using him as an example. But I've watched some Christians who've gone on that channel with him, right, and debated with him. And the ones who actually find headway with him are not the ones that press him and push him hard, right, and go after him. I mean, they don't back down. But they go in with the mindset of, I would really like to be his friend. So that's the thing. This, this whole thing about the cross, this mindset we move into, okay, if I'm going to reach people that, I don't, that, I, you know, that, that, that they don't know Jesus, I'm going to have to make a decision about what it means to be a friend. And if we don't get the foundational element of being friends with God first, we will never understand what it means to be friends with one another and especially not what it means to be missionally minded and make friends with people who don't know God. So let me just give you a few must-haves before I close this morning. This is a must-have to build friendship. And the first one is intentionality. So one of the big myths in church and church world and just in world, the world in general 
is that friendships have to be organic. Like, I'm not sure how organic my friendship was with that guy I told you about in the beginning where I threw up on him. But um, <laughs> we had to push back some challenges in the beginning of that friendship, you know what I'm saying, right? But somehow we, we made it through. And so there's this big, big myth that being, being friends with somebody is just natural, it's organic, it's easy. So let me ask you a question. When you think about, when you think about who Jesus had in his inner circle, right, the 12 guys, I mean, what are the chances that um, a tax collector and a, and a fisherman are going to be friends? What are the chances a tax collector and anybody's going to be friends, right? <laughs> At least you can find some common ground with a, te- with a, you know, with a fisherman. It's like he works hard for his money, whatever, I don't know. But the whole point was when Jesus brought people together, it was not organic, it was intentional. And there was bickering and there was fighting and there was challenges and they somehow or another found their way through it and developed friendships that literally changed the world. So friendship has to be intentional. You have to decide to be a friend to somebody, which means to have a friend, you have to be a friend, right? So building that intentionality is one of them. Pushing back, the, it has to be natural, organic myth and really actually moving forward in it. Diversity is another one. Community cannot just be with people we feel comfortable with. If you only have friendships with the people you feel comfortable with, you are a very one-sided person, right? And I I push back on this on a regular basis. Part of the enemy's plan for us in society, in this world we live in, is is to stop diversity. And I don't mean, you know, using this phrase in a political sense. I mean literally having friends that are different than you, different personalities, different, um, you know, cultural upbringing, different, I mean, just different views. If you don't have that, you're never going to get challenged in your perspective, and therefore you're never going to become the person that God intended you to be, right? So there has to be diversity. Uh, There's a phrase that we've said this numerous times about community, and it's this, that uniformity is not unity. In other words, you can have unity and not have to be the same, right? Unity is, is, is a bunch of different instruments playing the same music, right? So it turns out that if we have a love for Christ, there's something about this ability to push past any differences like Peter and, and Matthew, right? And they could push past the differences and say there's a, common, there's a commonality in our lives that make this worthwhile. And that's if you're believers. But even if someone is not a believer, there's still a commonality. And part of that commonality is Jesus loves them too, Right? And so therefore, you should make every attempt to love them. Another thing is a willingness to embrace awkwardness. So part of the way Karen and I became friends, uh, became friends, <laughs> that started a long, long time ago. The way we became believers was when we were stationed overseas in England, I worked with a guy who went to a local church there, and uh, he would challenge me with the gospel from time to time. And there was another guy that was friends with him that lived in the house together. They were singles, a bunch of guys who lived in a big house, had their own bedrooms, a common area and all that. And uh, his name was Joe. And Joe was Hispanic and he was, a, he, was, he was a fun guy, but he was super passionate and intentional. And he loved to drive really, really fast. So they invite us to this thing at the church. So this is building relationship and Karen and I try to, you know, build relationships so they can share Christ with us. That was their attention, I'm sure. And they invited us on this, on this uh, outing we followed them in our car, and, and Joe's driving like a bat out of hell, right? <laughs> and he comes right up to this, obviously he was supposed to take this exit off this main thoroughfare, and he realized at the last minute and just cut across two lanes of traffic in front of other people and zoomed down the exit while we were way over here, and there was nothing we could do. 
So we just kept driving. This is before cell phones. We're done for the day. We can't find him. We tried to find him. We got off the next exit, came back, hoping he would wait for us. Oh, no, he didn't wait for us. He just went on. I was, I'm not t- I was so angry, and, and I blamed it on him being a Christian. Right? That's probably, probably why it was, you know, religious bigot, you know, that's, that's the stuff that you say. <laughs> anyway, the next time he saw us, he was so repentant. He's like, I'm so sorry. He goes, I, you know, this is something the Lord's been working on me. I'm like, oh, he's not working hard enough, apparently. <laughs> I was just so mad. But he pressed through, and he begged us. He said, please, guys, I'm so sorry. He said, just because, he said, just because I did a dumb thing, he said, that should not keep you from connecting with the people who you know, you would love to be around, I promise. There's some really good people in the church. I'm like, yeah, you're not one of them. Anyway, <laughs> I worked through it. So Joe's now a pastor. He's been a pastor for years. And he, he actually went into Bible college with us, and Joe and I were, you know, maybe not best friends, but we were really, really close. And so my point is, is you have to move past this, you have to have this willingness to, to embrace the awkwardness. It is going to get awkward at some point in a relationship with a friend. And if you aren't willing to push past the awkwardness, to have the real conversation, to not just treat it like a contract, and the moment something goes south, you bail. That is, that is a recipe for aloneness and loneliness in your life. I promise you that. That's true whether it's a marriage, it's true in a friendship, it's true in your relationship with God. There are often things that happen in your life that you look at God and say, the circumstances seem to present God in a bad light. But I'm going to push past the awkwardness and I'll find out whether that's really true about Him. And it turns out when I do that, what I discover is the perspective was wrong, the perception was wrong, there's something I missed, and it turns out He was far better than I ever gave Him credit for. Developing a community or friendship and community can be awkward means pushing myself beyond my comfort zone, my insecurities, and my discouragements. It means awkward conversations, refused invitations, miscommunication, and expectations not matching reality. But it's worth it. Another one is openness, invite others in. Karen, I remember when we first came to DCF, we would, people would be standing in a circle, and we would be standing in a circle, people talking, and one of the things Karen would do is teach us all was to pivot. We've been in a circle, you know, you've, there's a, there's, it's tight. Right? And this is true of relationships. And someone would walk up near the circle. They didn't have the courage to just kind of press their way in, right? I can do that. I'll walk in and just push people apart and, and come in. But that's part of my personality. And what Karen would teach people to do is she would just pivot like this. And what it would do is it would create a gap for them to fill. And I know that's a silly, it's a silly way to explain it, but that's what you have to do. It's what God's called us to do. Because isn't that what Jesus did? He pivoted. He created room for us to come in. And the same thing is true with us. And if you don't do this intentionally, what will happen is you'll have your nice little circle of friends until you all get old and die and then you're alone because you, <laughs> you had so many, so limited friendship opportunities. There's something about the joy. I, I mean, I, I preach funerals from time to time and there's some, something about a, the joy of walking in and hearing people, even though in the grief and in the challenge of, of missing that person, the stories they tell of their friendships, and when there's tons of those people, you're like, that guy lived a full life. He understood what this is about. So you got to be open. you got to be willing to have fun together um, to create a memory. We, I, I like to go out to coffee, but coffee is usually about maintaining a friendship, not necessarily starting one, right? So do things. Invite people into your world 
And, and, and that goes to the last one is inclusiveness. You have to invite people into your world. If you are so worried about your house being in order, you will never invite anyone to your house for dinner. You'll never invite anyone over to your house for anything because you're embarrassed. You're like, it doesn't look as nice as so-and-so. Most people don't care. And the ones who care about how nice your house is, you're probably not going to end up being friends with them anyway because they're jerks. Right? (laughs) So what I'm saying is you've got to be willing. I'm not saying, you know, don't clean your house. What I'm saying is don't make it, don't, don't create the need for it to be so perfect that you can't have people into what's, what's really your life. The old joke is, you know, um, I cleaned the house yesterday and I invited you over today. I'm sorry you missed it because <laughs> right? it's a mess today. If you have kids especially, that's, that's even worse. So there has to be this, this, this desire to open up and invite people in. And listen, that's your responsibility, not other people's responsibility. Karen and I hear this all the time. People come in and they go, I just... I, I just don't have any friends, don't have any friendships, and it's really hard for friendships because, and then they give this, you know, people are not willing to be friends with me, and, you know, people this, and people that, and people this, and I'm, I'm like, you know, it, invite yourself. We have a rule at DCF, by the way, if you're wondering, if you make lunch plans, or any plans, and I overhear it, I am automatically invited. So it goes for everybody. So if you don't want me to come to lunch with you, have that conversation privately where I can't hear it, right? And that's the rule for us as a church. If, if you want to invite people, if you don't, and listen, there's nothing wrong with having just a few friends over. You understand what I'm saying. But there has to be a willingness. You, ha- you, you have to be inclusive. You have to step out and draw people in. It's what Jesus did, right? It's what the disciples did. The Bible says that they would go into all the world. Why? Because if, if it was just about how amazing they were, God would have sent lost people to Jerusalem, right? But that's not what happened. I mean, he did that too. But my point is, is that the intentionality was go out, leave this, go to the place where it's awkward, present the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news that God wants to be, not even wants to be, that God is your friend and he did everything he could to eliminate anything that would get in the way of your friendship. And so is Jesus your king? Absolutely he's your king. But he can also be your friend. And if, you've, if you're so caught up in legalism and religion and all the other junk that can come with church, if you're not careful, you will have no relationship with Jesus. I, I used to say this all the time. People would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to pray some of those things out loud. And I'm like, you know Jesus has seen you naked in the shower, right? He's, you know this, right? He's seen you. He's seen you at your worst, and he loved you first, right? So what are the chances you think you're going to offend him? See my point? And, if, and what would it look like? It's always my, 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 my thinking and vision. What would it look like as a church if we created that church culture in such a way that when people walk through the door, our heart was to go after them, not in some weird way that freaks them out, right? You can be too friendly too soon, right? <laughs> but what would it look like if there was a genuine love for people that moved past the abstract and said, look, every person who walks through the door is probably not going to be perfect. I mean, I am, but not anybody else, right? (laughs) And it turns out that how we build DCF is completely dependent on who God brings through, not this building, but into all of our lives. Because that's the way God builds everything. The way God does everything is through relationship. So let me me end with this. This is just a a value that we have at DCF. Um, It's called friendship before function. 
And it's a value that we create in terms of there is a function that we're all called to. God has called us to preach the gospel. God has called us to live lives that are representative of the gospel. All those things are true, right? Completely um, submerged in grace. So understanding that, of course. But there's this concept of friendship before function because I can see who God calls you to be in terms of your gifts and your passions and your abilities and all the things that make you who you are, your grace gifts, you know, your ability to lean into the Holy Spirit and move in the manifestation gifts, maybe to step into whatever ministry God's called you into in the local church. That's true of everybody because the Bible says that part of the role of leaders is to equip you for the work, works of service that God has already created for you to walk in, right? It's combining two scriptures, but you get my point. But in the process, if we don't develop real relationship in that, then what, it, what we create is we create a functional environment with no relationship. And that has never been God's plan. He wants function, don't get me wrong. But to get to ministry, we have to get to friendship first. So we want to lean in. That's why if you want to call me pastor, you're welcome to do that if that makes you feel better. Uh, we announce that, when we, hey, our pastor's coming because that's part of our culture. Like We understand that. But if you want to get to know me, my name is David, right? Or Dave, depending on if you're a hurry. <laughs> my name is not pastor. It's a function, and I do it, and I love it, and God's called to, hopefully he's gifted me well in it, and I'm growing in it and getting better at it. But who I am is not what I do, right? And we need to care more about who each other are, is, Somebody with grammar help me. <laughs> we need to care more about our own identities and identities with one another than we care about what you can do for me or, you know, in, in any capacity in ministry. If we can do that, if we can create that, we fulfill this. This is John 15 again. I no longer call you servants. This is God. This is Jesus. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. In other words, let's... Be honest. Let's be open. Let's let people in, even if they see the imperfections, because I promise we have them, right? He said, a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. And so, the Bible says that God does not withhold any good gift from you. And isn't it a beautiful picture in the book of Acts, that passage I read before, that part of the community was that no one withheld any good thing from anybody else in the community. Right? If I know you're hurting, and it's one reason why we, we say join a, join a small group, be part of a ministry team. Why? Because it puts you in close context with other people. If you show up on a Sunday morning, you can fake it for an hour and a half. I promise you can. I've done it. Right? And so you can, you can fake it, and you don't have to be your real self. You don't, have to, you don't have to open up. You don't have to do any of those things. And lots of people, that they're happy with that place, but it's not the way God designed it. But what would it look like if we created the space where we had all things in common? You walk in the door, and I see you are in need of encouragement. And then the Bible says, we owe one another a debt of love. That I owe you encouragement because I'm in relationship with you. Right? I owe you honor. When I, when I look at your life, I don't pick out all the bad things, right? That's easy. That, that's simple and easy to do. That's why most people can do it. It takes a special kind of desire and relationship to say, I'm going to look at you and say, who has God made you to be? Who are you really? And then celebrate that until that becomes the predominant perspective of who you are. 
Because part of, the, part of what we do together is we call out who God says we are, confirm it in one another until we become that completely. And that's the beauty of the church. The church is supposed to be a group of friends before it's anything else. And that's our heart, and that's why it's an essential. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then Karen's going to come back up and just kind of close this out for uh, <laughs> online community stuff. She does that really well, and I forget how to do it well. But I'm going to pray. Lord, we just say thank you for friendship, first of all, with you. God, thank you that um, your mercy and your kindness saw past our brokenness and our hurt, um, even our anger at you. Lord, and you pressed in. You, you, you went past the awkwardness, Lord, to, to show your friendship to us so that we could become your friends. And thank you, Lord, that you don't call us servants. It's not your heart. It was never your desire. But your desire was to have friends. Help us understand what that means biblically, Lord, and to live it out fully in, a, in the context of what it means to be in relationship together in the local church. And, Lord, help us to make friends with people who don't yet know you. Um, Lord, to see the value that you made them to be, even if they never accept you the way we long for, for them to accept you. But the most important thing, Lord, is to see the value that you've created inside of them. Help us to do that well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, for those of you that are in-house, we would love to pray for you. If there is any ministry need, whether it be physical or emotional, um, maybe something from this message today that stood out about friendship and being close to one another, um, or maybe you're feeling lonely, we would love to pray for you. If you're watching online, we have a ministry team that would love to pray for you as well. Um, I know this week I've spoken to several people of just like really kind of some big things. So you can contact us at prayer at dothancf.com, and someone from ministry team will be in touch with you to really pray with you. And it can be whatever is that you're needing prayer for, that you would like to have prayer for, and someone to come alongside with you. So please don't hesitate to do that. We hope you guys have a good week. Um, we're thankful for all of you, and we will look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. Have a great week, guys.